Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Where We Live is a show with a sense of place. If you're a regular listener, you know we often explore Connecticut and its people, the issues that matter to us and our place in this country and in this world. Have you thought about why you live where you live? Is home the town where you were born? Or did you find yourself in a particular place because of a job or because of love? Today, where we live, we find out why Americans will move an average of 12 times in their lifetime. Author Melody Warnick joins us to talk about her book, This is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. What makes you want to stay in your town or city? Or are you itching to move? We want to hear from you, 860-275-7266. Comment on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Melody Warnick is a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in several publications, including The Atlantic's City Lab, Reader's Digest, and Better Homes and Gardens. Her new book is called This is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. She joins us today from the studios of WVTF Public Radio in Roanoke, Virginia. Melody, welcome to where we live. Thanks so much for having me. So first off, I wanted to ask you, how many times have you moved in your lifetime? So I've been telling people lately that I've moved six times um, in the past 12 years or so among five different states. But when I actually started counting it up, if I count, you know, college dorms and things like that, it's actually 16 times. So... I am slightly above the national average of, you know, a little over 11 moves per person. And so when did you decide to write this book? What prompted you to think about, uh, you know, the idea that we move a lot in our lifetime? It was my last move. I was living in Austin with my family, and we'd only been there a couple of years. um, And we moved there thinking, like a lot of people think about Austin, that this was going to be the place we stayed forever. Um, Austin has a great reputation. People think of it as, you know, a really cool city. And when my husband got a job there, we thought, yes, you know, this is where we're going to stay. And then after a couple of years, he didn't love it so much. And he was sick of the heat and the traffic. And he got a new job in Blacksburg, Virginia. And we moved again. Um, All these moves take such a toll. Um, I I heard that you are in the middle of a move, (laughs) Lucy. And so you probably know how chaotic it can be how overwhelming and when you're moving it just that is the thing you think about it is the big thing in your life so I knew a lot of people who were in this stage where they were moving a lot and yet no one really was talking about um, why we were moving or what we should do when we got to the new place to feel more comfortable and settled there and that process sometimes takes so long I really wanted to understand it a little better and make myself happier in my new town. That's interesting when you were talking about uh, your move from Austin to Blacksburg you mentioned your your husband so it was his job that prompted you uh, to try Austin and then later to Blacksburg and so that's often what um, 
takes us to a place is uh, our connection, uh, whether it be to a partner, a spouse, uh, maybe we want to move back home uh, closer to our relatives. But I think the family connection uh, really matters here. Yeah, absolutely. Family connection is one of the main reasons recorded by the census for why people choose to move. Some of the other ones are jobs or housing. You move because you want to live in a city with a lower cost of living or you want to upgrade your home. So you move to the next town over or something like that. So those are the practical reasons people move. But I think at heart, there are a lot of more soulful reasons. You know, if people asked why my husband and I moved from Austin, Texas to Blacksburg, Virginia, we would tell people, oh, it was a job. There's an actual reason we're moving. But if we dug into it, why did we move to Blacksburg? Because we wanted a different quality of life. We wanted to be in a slightly smaller town. We wanted to be in a place that had four seasons. I've heard of people who move across the country because they want to live near the ocean or because they want to be in the mountains or, um, you know, like you said, they want to be near family. So the, the practical reason is kind of the overlay for sometimes deeper reasons. I think at heart, a lot of us move because we want to find a better place. I know that in all these years of moving, I always had this sense that the next town would be the perfect town. You know, I, I would somehow find the place where I belonged, everything clicked for me, and not only would my life be better, but I would be a magically better person. <laughs> everything about my situation would change. And it took many years before I realized that Although towns and cities uh, where you live changes your life, um, it's still you in that place. Um, and if you want to be happy there, you have to choose it. There isn't a perfect place. I'm speaking with Melody Warnick. Her book, This Is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. If you want to share uh, your story of why you ended up in Connecticut or why you may be moving, 860-275-7266. Again, 860-275-7266. Uh, Melody, I wanted to ask you about um, the changes in uh, generations. So um, my parents or our grandparents it seems that at one time that it was it made more sense and it was common that you stayed in your hometown and you lived there and you had loyalty to one job. Um, that seems like a thing of the past today. There's still a surprising number of people who stay in their hometown. As I researched the book, I was kind of shocked to discover that about 30 percent, 37 percent of Americans still live in their hometown. But I think the thing that has changed is there's kind of a stigma to that. That's right. <laughs> um, people feel like if you want to progress in the world, if you want to be upwardly mobile, you need to move around a lot. Um, and a lot of times when we think of getting a new job, we think of moving to a new place. That's how you progress in your career. So people who choose to stay in their hometown because it's what they love are kind of seen with suspicion. <laughs> you know, there's something wrong with you. You have opted out of the American dream because you have chosen this place over, you know, perhaps some financial uh, benefits that you might have gotten for moving to a bigger city or, you know, moving more often. So I think as Americans, we're really restless. About 12% of Americans move each year. And that's about 38 million people. So it's kind of a, an amazingly large number. Um, 
And there are so many reasons for it, but I think um, a lot of us have lost that ability to simply stay put and be happy where we are. We, we want to move on to the next job, the next town. We're kind of constantly thinking of the next big thing in our lives, and it makes it difficult to simply stay and be content. I was speaking with a staff member here who would be considered a Gen Xer, and she said that, you know, that generation is considered the nomad generation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Gen Xer, too. And, you know, I look around at my friends, and this is kind of how we've handled our lives. I have one friend who, um, you know, my husband and I met in grad school. We were living in Iowa at the time. And since we've known them, they've moved, I think, four or five additional times, and they kind of keep hopscotching around from state to state and it's usually you know for a job we're we're trying something new but in a way i think they're just looking for their happy place and they haven't quite found it you know sometimes when we have other problems in our lives um you know we're not happy with our jobs or our career or we have debt or you know we're struggling with money we think that the solution will be moving somewhere else and in some ways different towns can make an impact on those things there's a lot of research that says certain places have higher levels of well-being or people in this town live longer than people in the other town or this place has a lower cost of living so it pays to be wise about where you choose to live and how that will affect your quality of life. But I think the missing ingredient is deciding at some point to not be a nomad anymore, that at some point there are benefits that we get from simply choosing to love and be attached to the place we live now. I want to take a, a few calls uh, from listeners. Paul from New Haven, you're on Where We Live, Paul. Hi. Um, I moved to New Haven uh, totally by accident. I graduated from Wesleyan University, my first choice as a college, and I had no idea what I was going to do afterwards. So I said, where's the nearest city that has good train service to Boston and New York? And I ended up um, in a place that, oddly enough, replicated my childhood because I grew up in Manhattan with my mother time and on uh, eastern end of Long Island half time with my father so half urban and half rural and I find New Haven has is a cosmopolitan city which is great and I can go kayaking and bicycling in surrounding towns and I've lived in surrounding towns too I am back in New Haven um, one of the people migrating from the suburbs back to the city so that's uh, the essence of my story. I love it here. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, that you love Connecticut, Paul. And, and Melody, it was interesting to hear Paul um, talk about um, the fact that, you know, he's in a place where it's easy for him to be mobile as well. Like, where's the nearest train station? Where can I go? Right. I love Paul's story because I love hearing, you know, how people ended up where they are and what made them choose that. And he said, you know, he kind of stumbled into it by accident and then realized you know, it fulfilled all these needs in his life, you know, the ability to get out in nature, go kayaking and hiking. And also, like you mentioned, you know, the ability to have easy transportation. That's a huge thing because 
Um, commuting is one of the things that lowers our quality of life dramatically. It's so stressful. So if you can live in a place where you're near your job, where you either have a really short car commute or you can bike or walk, um, it makes you so much happier. I've talked to a few people in writing the book, This Is Where You Belong, um, who were incredibly analytical about choosing where they lived. I met one person um, who moved to Roanoke, Virginia, where I am right now. Um, and before he did, he was living in upstate New York and he knew he wanted to change. And so he made this spreadsheet of all the qualities that mattered to him. And they might not have been the qualities that mattered to other people. But for him, it was things like um, access to local cinema and um, a low prevalence of Lyme disease <laughs> and things like that. Um, and he you know, made this spreadsheet, uh, considered about 25 or 30 different cities and tried places out and eventually settled in Roanoke. But for s some people, it really is just kind of a, a feeling you get, you know, um, it may involve a little bit of investigation, you know, hey, this is near the commuter railroad and that sounds like a good place or I can afford the apartment here. Mm. Um, but once you're there, you may find that it works really well for you. Something about it just fits your life. I want to take another call. Uh, Jessica from West Hartford. Jessica, you're on Where We Live. Hi. Um, I'm calling as I'm, I'm sitting in my driveway waiting for the moving truck to arrive because <laughs> the movers are coming today. Um, and we're moving back to West Hartford. I grew up here, and we've been living actually in uh, Paris, France for the past few years. My husband's job brought us abroad. Um, we live in a few states other than that, and we're when it came time to leave Europe and we, we were trying to decide where to go, we thought a lot about it, and we lived in downstate Connecticut, we lived in other states, and um, we decided for me, West Hartford is really a place that's home, it's near family, um, it has, um, you know, the quality of life that we want in terms of housing costs and the quality of the schools and the religious institutions, and so... It was a really tough choice for us to decide where to live, and we're excited because we're moving in today, and I'm really excited to be happy about the place that we chose and have a good – it is overwhelming moving, as I can tell you right now, but we're happy that it has a good feeling to it, so I think that was important for us. Well, welcome back to Connecticut, Jessica. We don't <laughs> often hear uh, that story, and, and you just prompted me to, to remind our listeners, and, and uh, re soon we'll be talking about out-migration and why people are leaving Connecticut. But again, good to hear from Jessica that she's uh, heading back to Connecticut, and the moving truck is there. Good luck with that move uh, back into West Hartford, Jessica. Thanks so much. Yeah, congratulations, Jessica. Those moves are, you know, even when this is a well-considered move and you are happy to be there, simply moving can feel like um, you are just in over your head. Um, but Jessica said something really interesting that she chose to move um, where she had grown up because she had family nearby and it felt like home. And that is actually one of the main things that make us happy where we live. There's a study that says that the people who are the least likely to move are ones who live within an hour's drive of six members of their family. So, you know, if you settle relatively near, you know, parents or siblings, you have a better chance of being happy and wanting to stay. 
I'm speaking with Melody Warnick. She's the author of This is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. Um, if you have a story that you want to share, 860-275-7266. Why do you choose to live in Connecticut? Again, we're also hearing from some callers. Please stay on the line um, who want to share why they've moved away. Again, that number, 860-275-7266. When we return from the break, we're going to hear a little bit more from Melody about um, the scientific literature she uncovered, um, the actual term for people um, finding the place that they call home. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There's a science term for loving where you live. It's called place attachment. Author Melody Warnick is with us today to talk about her new book, this is where you belong, the art and science of loving the place you live. Uh, before we take more calls, Melody, we're getting a lot of tweets. I wanted to read some. Uh, Jill tweeted to where we live that she's moved 13 times. Academic couple, couples move a lot, she says, on the hunt for the dual appointment. Also, um, Josh writes, I'm 39 and I've moved 23 times. Also, when I was a kid in New York City, it seemed like everyone moved every year or two for a better lease. And then Rob, if you count the three moves during college, I'm up to 10, and he's worked at 11 different companies. So again, we're talking about how we find or the place we live and why we choose to put down roots. I want to take another call here. Uh, Eileen is calling from Waterville, Ireland. Eileen, you're on Where We Live. Hi, how are you? I'm well. So what? how did you end up in Ireland? <laughs> um, I've been traveling here for nearly 20 years. And um, I love it. This is the town my grandmother was born in, in 1883. And um, when I was getting ready to retire, I thought, you know, when I'm fixed income, I probably won't be able to travel here as much as I would like. So I decided to move here. And do you plan on on coming back to Connecticut for visits, or does the the distance, is it a problem? No, I'll probably come back for visits here and there. And I may move back. I don't know. I've, I've left myself wide open here. It's just I moved here with my two dogs. And, um, you know, my life is pretty open. I can do what I want. Um, you mentioned that um, there were familial connections that led you back to Ireland. Um, often we hear when we live in a certain place that um, we always think, well, it'd be better if we live somewhere else. I mean, do you feel like uh, being in Ireland is everything that you'd hoped for? It absolutely is. And I really didn't have any family here when I moved here. Um, I've been making friends. Um, I had one friend that I had made over the years However, sadly, she passed away two days before I arrived, and um, which was a little upsetting at first. But I just it forced me to just stand up and just find my own way. So I did. Well, thank you, Eileen, for your call, and thanks for listening all the way from Ireland. I listen to you all the time. <laughs> And I want to turn back to uh, writer and, and freelance journalist Melody Warnick. Uh, what did you think about Eileen's story? Well, Eileen brought up something really interesting, was, which is that the place where she settled in Ireland is, in a way, her ancestral hometown. Even though she hadn't lived there before, it was the place where her grandmother was from. That's something that a lot of Americans don't have simply because we are a nation of immigrants, in a way. Um, people have been coming to America from other countries for years and years. And you may not have that feeling that, you know, this town is where generations of my family have lived. But I love what Eileen said about that, that there's, 
you know, kind of a an emotional connection to a place where you know your family is from long term. Because place attachment is really about an emotional bond that you develop with a place. And it can happen for a lot of reasons, but certainly the sense of family roots is one of them. Carlos is calling from Meriden. Carlos, you're on where we live. Yes, how's it going? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was in the military for like seven years, and I moved around a lot. And I grew up in Connecticut, too. And I'm all, when I was growing up, I always wanted to leave Connecticut. <laughs> but after I left the military, for some reason, I just ended up moving into Meriden. And ever since then, I've stood because <laughs> of my family, of course. <laughs> so it was family that brought you back? Yes, yes, my family and my girlfriend, my fiancé. And so, Carlos, you were in you were in the military for seven years. Can you count how many times you were moved around? Well, I can't. To be honest with you, I can't. I moved around a lot, oh. uh, a lot, a lot. But well, more than a dozen times, I know that. More than at the end of the day, there's, uh, there's no place like home. <laughs> There's no place like home. Thank you so much, Carlos, for your call. Um, so, Melody, can we talk a little bit about uh, the military and, and its function in terms of, of moving people uh, many different places and how, um, you know, that's part of the culture? Yeah. Being in the military or being a military spouse has its own unique challenges because you don't get a choice in where you move or when. And so people who... Um, have these moves are kind of forcibly uprooted from places where they, you know, may have made friends and feel comfortable. This is their home for them. But it speaks to the need to learn about place attachment. You know, one of the things I wanted to do with the book was explain to people how you put down roots, especially if you're in a place that you don't necessarily love and don't necessarily feel comfortable. And there are things that you can do to sort of hasten that process of feeling attached. Um, I have a friend whose husband is in the military. They've moved around a lot. Um, but she gave me, uh, you know, some advice that she had gotten from her grandmother, who whose husband was also in the military. And it was unpack where you are, you know, always unpack your suitcase. And that was kind of literal advice, like put your things in drawers and put your pictures on the wall. But it's also nice, you know, metaphorical, emotional advice, too, that when you move to these places and you're in the military, you really don't have any sense of how long you're going to be there. It could be six months. It could be six years. But to make yourself feel happy there, you need to learn to, you know, make friends, invest in the community, understand where you are and enjoy the things that are there, even if you're only going to be there for a little while. And that's a point that you make in your book. Well, you know, what does it take to settle down um, and, and um, start a family? It doesn't always necessarily mean that because you settle down and you've established roots that you'll never move again. Right. I kind of had the misconception when I first started researching the concept of place attachment that if you were truly place attached, it meant you were never moving again. You were in your town for the long haul because you had really come to love it and it felt like you belong there. In fact, I include in the book a place attachment quiz, questions that you can ask yourself to see how attached you are. And several of the questions relate to things like, you know, there is no other place I'd rather live. I don't plan on moving anytime soon. Um, so they are related. But on the other hand, I've 
talk to people who are incredibly invested in their communities. They love where they live. They're working really hard to create, you know, festivals or run for office in their town or things like that. And yet they acknowledge that, you know, the future is uncertain and you sometimes don't have a choice of when you move or sometimes you just get to a point in your life where the town that's worked really well for you doesn't work anymore. You know, we get older, our life situation changes, um, our towns change as well. And I think it's okay to get to that point where you look around and say, you know, I used to really love this town and now it's time to try something new. It doesn't, uh, that in itself doesn't mean that you're having, you know, a a violent, mean place divorce. It can be an amicable separation where you say, this town has done so much for me. I've really enjoyed living here. And now it's time to move on. And that's okay. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking to writer and freelance journalist Melody Warnick about her book, This Is Where You Belong. We have several callers on the line, so uh, uh, please be patient. We'll try to get to you as soon as we can. I do want to take a call from Daniel in Cheshire. Daniel, you're on Where We Live. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have a comment to make about uh, just a, a reason to move. I ha- I've lived in Connecticut for most of my adolescence and adult life. I'm 29 years old. I have a good job. I have a good house. And there's a lot of practical reasons why Connecticut is a, a very good place to live with regards to the quality of life, quality of education. But there's something about the, the, the kind of values and the culture and the people that don't 100% resonate with me in a way that I was hoping for. And I think what I'm looking for in a place that I move to is a place where uh, the kind of cultures and the values and the people in the arts and entertainment maybe that's a little different. Um, it's something that I found here, especially in New England, uh, between New York and Boston, there's that New York minute, mm-hmm. that New England minute where everything is very fast and very aggressive. And in my travels a lot for work, I found that that's really not the case everywhere. And I'm very curious to see what there is outside of Connecticut. And it, it's kind of in, in those kind of cursory travels to places like Seattle, to places like Alabama, these, these much kind of very different culturally speaking so uh, kind of appeal to me. So, Daniel, if you could, if you could move to uh, one place in this country, where would you move to? Right now, I'm looking at uh, Seattle. Uh, I really like the music scene there. The mu- uh, music is very important to me, and there's a lot of very uh, rich musical places. Uh, I think that they have a very good industry there, too, and they, they really value uh, the, the environment as well. So that's something that, that's important to me. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Melody, interesting that Daniel mentions a lot about um, the, the change of pace and looking for you know, a cultural uh, place where you know, he feels more connected to something that he values, such as music. Right. When we talk about towns, um, there's actually research that places have different personalities. And what I mean by that is that people with different personalities tend to congregate in certain places. Um, There was a study by a Cambridge researcher named Jason Renfro, and he looked into, he did personality tests and then analyzed the data geographically. And he found that, um, for instance, 
neurotic people tended to congregate in the Northeast, whereas the <laughs> South tended to be a little more amiable. And open people, people who are open to new experiences, kind of like what Daniel's describing with, you know, wanting people who are creative and into, you know, interesting music, tend to congregate on the coast. So I think a lot of finding where you should be, finding the right place for you, is finding a place that resonates with your personality, who you are, what you value, um, the kind of people you want to spend time with. Um, A lot of feeling comfortable in a place or building place attachment is building social networks, building social capital, and you do that by making friends. That happens a lot easier if you happen to be in a place where the people are kind of like you. Mm. They reflect your interests. And traveling is a good way to investigate that. Sometimes we visit a city and we instantly kind of feel like this is my kind of town. It's interesting that Daniel mentioned Seattle because I was just in Seattle last week and I remember thinking, this isn't my kind of town because, um, you know, I I don't think I'm as willing as I need to be to, like, get piercings and dye my hair. Um, But I think Daniel is probably more open to new experience than I am. And it sounds like it would be a good fit for him. So there takes, you know, it takes some investigation to find that right place for your personality. I would think that not everyone um, believes that moving around so much is a is a good thing or um, um, is reflective of the society we live in. I want to take a call, an interesting comment. Eric from Cheshire. Eric, you're on Where We Live. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for taking my call. I'm such a long-time listener. It's my very first time getting through. Uh, and I want to say, uh, as somebody who stayed put his whole life, how concerned I am with how this might relate to um, our Americans' increasing ability to justify throwing things away, you know, the, the disposable society, and the grass is always greener, and, you know, the divorce rate, and what this, what the penalties are if this has been studied, and what it does to your infrastructure when people treat their homes as though they're only going to be there for a few years. Uh, I've, I've taken some ribbing for doing things to my home, like putting on copper roofing and, and using, like, uh, building techniques that I want my grandchildren to benefit from, um, and and I, it's so uncommon now, at least in this country. So I mean, what what? How might that all come together? If you want to comment. All right. Well, thank you, Eric, for your comment, Melody. I I think he's exactly right that we have a society that craves novelty, um, and that makes us treat a lot of things as disposable, you know, not just our places, but like he mentioned, our relationships and our homes. You know, we we build for something temporary. And it, it certainly affects the way communities build, the way they create themselves. It's pretty unusual to find someone like Eric who is building his house for the long, long term. Um, you know, most of us kind of assume that we're only going to be in a place for a little while. But there definitely are um, downsides. You know, there are downsides structurally, but there are also downsides to us as individuals. There was a study that I think is really interesting out of Japan that found that um, women who stayed put and were happy in their community, they knew their neighbors, they trusted them, lived um, 6% longer than those who didn't. Um, 
There are other studies that show that moving a lot, a lot of geographic mobility is associated with negative outcomes, especially for adolescents. They're more likely to do poorly in school, more likely to experiment with drugs and alcohol. Mm. One study found that um, introverts who move a lot as children and maybe you know because of their introversion are a little less equipped to handle it have a poorer quality of life, even as adults, that this is something that affects their health and their mental well-being for years and years. So simply the act of moving, um, you know, we sometimes think of it, and I know I have, as a solution to our problems. You don't like where you live. You don't like your job. You don't like your neighbors. Just move away. And and those problems go away. Um, but what we realize is that moving itself can sometimes create new challenges and that there are benefits to our health and our emotional well-being simply for choosing to stay despite everything. You know, it's interesting you talk about the downsides to moving. Um, when you look at um, here in Connecticut, there's a lot of conversation about um, often retirees say, you know, it's too expensive to live in Connecticut, and they look to move elsewhere, um, oftentimes to the south. But we think about, you know, the impact of that of people leaving. Uh, so there's not the, obviously, uh, the, to the tax revenue to the state. But these people who have chosen or maybe born and raised in Connecticut have raised their family, have um, been able to take advantage of the quality of life, but then feeling like they need to leave. And so all that attachment to the community, their, their involvement, their participation, uh, that goes away too. Right, exactly. And that's one of my big pet peeves, actually. Um, a lot of people look to retirement as the chance to, you know, I'm going to escape, I'm going to go live by the ocean. But you have spent your adult years building you know, social relationships, investing in a community, building trust. And you're finally at a point in your life where you have a lot of resources, financial and in terms of time and skill, to really contribute back to your town. And to suddenly take that away not only is a huge detriment to the place where you live, um, but it can be really more difficult than the retirees imagine. You know, part of place attachment is time. It's, you know, spending a lot of time in a place, really coming to identify with it. You have all these happy memories in your community. You've built your own personal narrative in a particular place. And sometimes we we don't think about the consequences of simply, you know, cutting off those roots and replanting ourselves elsewhere. You know, I'm I'm not against moving and sometimes it is the right solution for people. But there there are <laughs> sad um, results from that for you and for your town. Um, we just have a uh, time for just a few more calls. I want to take a call. Kari is calling. Kari, you're on where we live. Um, hi, my name's Carrie. I, oh, Carrie, uh, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I'm 60 years old. I grew up in New London and um, eventually became a journalist. And I'm also somewhat of a wandering soul or a restless soul. I like to move. And so my husband and I, for my work, moved many, many times. And Journalism sort of decayed, and for a lot of reasons, we ended up in Ledger, and I promised him I wouldn't, I wouldn't beg to move again. Um, so I was working for an online news source, and I, I went, and I had become an artist. I had become a painter um, during this time, and I went down to the Outer Banks to paint, and I was making my way back. I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back to work, and I saw a town called Painter, 
and I thought, well, I could be a painter who lives in painter. And by the time I was done with that, I was through painter. I took the next right. I ended up in a little town on the eastern shore of Virginia, and I felt like I had come home. It was amazing. So uh, I came back to Ledger and said, oh, you know, uh-oh, I found this place. You really got to go see it. And he went down, and he had the same feeling, that it was destined, that he had come home. He put an offer on a house. I hadn't seen it. Uh, he, we, got the, we got the house. We sold our house here. I quit my job in journalism, became an artist, and I'm absolutely ecstatic. I'm on my way back to the Eastern Shore from just having been in the Mystic Outdoor Art Festival. So that's my sort of magical story. Well, thank you, uh, Carrie, for your call. I want to take another call. Uh, Simone from West Hartford. Simone, you're on Where We Live. Hi. I moved to Connecticut with my uh, husband when we were young. I'm in my 60s now, and um thought we were coming here for just a few years. It was kind of a compromise between uh, New York and Boston. And uh, now I've been here for 40 years, and I've just been very happy living uh, so close to Hartford. There's a lot going on here. It's a, it's a good, small city. I get tired of hearing people trash it. And I think um, West Hartford is a great town to raise children, and it's also where I taught for 30-plus years. And um, I just uh, I wouldn't move back to New York City unless I won the lottery because the quality of life is so much better here in Connecticut. When you say quality of life, uh, just the fact that there's more green around and you're able to get to know people and there's a sense of community in West Hartford? Absolutely. And my husband died when my kids were very young, and we had a lot of support from neighbors and and, uh, people in my book club. And just uh, it's really become home. Even though I didn't grow up here, I grew up on in on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and then in a project in Queens. So it's very different from my uh, early life, and I I just am very happy to be a homeowner. I get to see things like foxes and <laughs> even a bear occasionally. So <laughs> it's a great place to live, and it's very close to the city. So you know, if I want to go to New York City, I can go anytime I want. And same thing with going to Boston, although Boston's an inferior city to New York, but. So it's there. Yeah. Well, Simone, thank you so much for your call. And we have time for one more call. Uh, David from Meriden. You're on Where We Live. David. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I have, I'm in biotech. And uh, unless you happen to be right in the heart of New Haven, there's not a lot of that in Connecticut. So we have lived in Texas, Michigan, Wisconsin, Massachusetts, basically all over the place. So there's a lot of turnover in that field. And more recently uh doing the weekend warrior thing and i know a lot of people are doing this where they'll work in boston during the week and then come back to connecticut and even working in connecticut and living in rhode island so with the small states we see a lot of this commuter mentality where you know people will live two hours three hours away from where they're actually working yeah, it is interesting, and we're going to be hearing from an author in just a couple of minutes about Connecticut's uh, place in New England, but I appreciate uh, your comment, David. And, and before we go to break, uh, Melody Warnick, again, author of This Is Where You Belong. You know, what are some of your takeaways? Obviously, you traveled to a lot of different places when you're researching this book uh, to find out why people choose um, the homes where they are and, and why they decide to keep um, to, li- to lay down roots. 
One of the main things I learned about towns is that there really is no single town for everyone. Um, I talked to people who lived in the same place and one would rave about it and, you know, how great it was. They loved living here. And the next person you talk to would say, oh, I hate it here. I can't wait to escape. And I'm sure that's an experience that everyone has had. You know, whether or not you like your town, you know someone who likes it and you know someone who hates it. Um, so that suggests that a lot of our feelings about our town are simply emotional. And we can control some of that with our actions, you know, and with our choices. So choose to love your town, choose to be happy there, choose to make it better, um, and reap the, the benefits for your health and happiness that come from place attachment. Melody Warnick is a freelance journalist and author of This is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Melody. Thanks so much for having me, Lucy. Coming up, writer Richard Conniff shares his latest article on Connecticut and asks the question, are we really part of New England? This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up on Thursday's show, 25 years and $104 billion later, we'll discuss the role and impact of Connecticut's income tax. Plus, are Brazilians Latinos? We'll dig into some of the history and ambiguity surrounding Brazilian identity. Joining us by phone now is Richard Conniff, Connecticut-based writer and journalist. His new book is called House of Lost Worlds, Dinosaurs, Dynasties, and the Story of Life on Earth. And we're talking to him today about an article he wrote recently in Yankee Magazine. Richard, welcome to Where We Live. Hey, Lucy. Nice to be here. I'm not sure if you're able to listen to the first part of the show, but we were talking with journalist Melody Warnick about the science of loving where you live and what influences us to make home make a home in a specific place. I was wondering what how you ended up in Connecticut, Richard. So I've lived in Connecticut for 37 years, um, a little bit off and on in the beginning. I came here to go to school, first of all, um, and then we moved to Deep River back in the early 1980s, and we've stayed here in the Connecticut River Valley uh, pretty much ever since. So you wrote an interesting uh, article uh, in Yankee Magazine about uh, the question of, you know, Connecticut's place in New England. What prompted you to write that? Well, so it started with my editor, um, and uh, he asked me if I could investigate this this sort of idea that the rest of New England treats Connecticut with uh, a, a bit of disdain. You know, they have this group called the Heart of New England, um, which consists of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and, you know, we're left out, uh, clearly. And, and it's not just uh, that northern New England uh, sort of leaves us out. Um, we're kind of the butt of jokes. So John Stewart um, on The Daily Show last year he said, Connecticut is a state that, let's be honest, nobody else in the region likes or respects. And the really humiliating thing was that he was talking about the mid-Atlantic region. <laughs> 
You know, it's interesting. So you said you've lived here for more than 30 years. You know, I've been here for 10 years. Um, you know, we, we can understand why some people choose to live in Connecticut. But it's interesting when you think about Connecticut as part of New England. I, I'm sure you probably remember a few years ago there was that em- embarrassment where Connecticut wasn't even included on this map of New England. Do you remember that with yeah, uh, tourism? I, I I, but, you know, I, I was in a, a beer store in Portland, Maine, recently, and they had our Connecticut beers classified in the Mid-Atlantic section. Oh, man. So it, it goes on in all kinds of little ways. But, but in fact, you know, I called up uh, the, the geologist Robert M. Thorson at the University of, of Connecticut, and um, we are in all geologic and geographic ways part of New England. That is that same mountain ridge that runs up to Acadia in, in Maine, um, uh, or to Mount Katahdin, rather, um, starts in Westchester County and in in, um, in Fairfield County. And it's, it runs right up through Massachusetts and ties us all together. And we have the same kind of forests and rocky fields and the same kind of rocky coasts that you will find on the coast of Maine. Uh, so really there's no distinction, uh, no legitimate distinction. Uh, it's a cultural thing. And, and I think it's obviously because of our proximity to New York, or maybe more than that, it's because we are sort of, as someone said earlier, a compromise between New York and, and Boston. We're sort of drawn. There's this, there's this thing that Benjamin Franklin said about New Jersey. He called it a, a barrel with a bunghole at both ends, and um, meaning that all of its culture was drawn out one way or the other, and, and we're kind of like that, too. You write that um, we're considered kind of the flyover state. Yeah. yeah the well, pass-through. <laughs> yes, that's right. People, I mean, people define us the same way, you know, they define New Jersey by the Jersey Turnpike. They define us by Route 95 and by 91, and we're just something to get through on the way to Cape Cod or on the way to, you know, the real New England in Maine or elsewhere. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate because if you live here, and in particular, well, in the article, I, I come around to saying that what really unites us um, and, and makes us distinct is our, our waterways, our rivers. There are a lot of them, um, particularly the Connecticut River, and our coastline. You know, so it's 100 miles of coast um, at, from New York border to Rhode Island. But then if you look at the nooks and crannies, it's like 600 miles, and they're all worth exploring. And, and so those, the, the water is, is, is really important. Do you think we make too much of it uh, for us the, who live in New England or to, in Connecticut? Do we make too much of it of people's impressions of us, whether it's uh, people in Maine and New Hampshire, what they think of us as part of New England, um, or uh, our neighbors to the south? And why should we care? Well, yeah, we do have a, a bit of, a, of an insecurity problem. But, but, you know, the other thing about Connecticut that's really puzzling to me, and, and this goes back, you know, so traveling as a writer, I would go to Ireland and I would see this country that was not a whole lot larger than Connecticut, with a population not a whole lot larger, and it had this really distinctive literature with Joyce and Yates and, and right up to the present day, Seamus Haney and, and so on. And then I'd come back to Connecticut, and there's nobody who writes about Connecticut. I mean, even the writers here who are famous don't have, you know, they don't. Mark Twain wrote about the Mississippi River. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin about the South. Arthur Miller also you know, Salem, Massachusetts, and Brooklyn, not not Connecticut. So we don't have any kind of sense of, of our own identity that way. And do you think that plays into the fact that there's so much talk about people wanting to leave Connecticut? I do. 
you know, the one thing, uh, Bill Hosley is a, uh, an art museum curator and a Connecticut fanatic, and he's pointed out to me that the one thing we really do have an identity about is our towns, you know, our 169 towns. And each of those towns has its own very distinct uh, uh, sense of itself and, and, and multiple museums. The number of museums in the state is extraordinary. And that's something that maybe can give us some thread of, of a larger identity as a state. Um, so that, you know, the town that, that I lived in before, Deep River, uh, you know, I, I was traveling around writing about wildlife um, and, you know, doing what I thought were big stories. Or, uh, But then I came home and I, I discovered the ivory trade on my doorstep and discovered that Deep River had been the center of the ivory trade in the Western Hemisphere in the 19th century. And, you know, that, that felt like a pretty big story. Um, and I think any town that you look at in any part of the state, you will find something like that that has repercussions well beyond the borders of that town. There's certainly a lot of history here, and we've been focusing on that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but do you ever, do you think, uh, you, yeah, you've been lived here for uh, more than uh, 30 years, do you think that we'll get past this uh, this image perception of, of Connecticut where uh, we'll be, con- you know, considered part of New England and it won't be such a chip on our shoulder? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we should care so much about whether New England, <laughs> northern New England, considers us part of the, the uh, of, of the region. We are part of the region. We should forget that. Yeah. But I think we should, I mean, we need some some bigger sense of Connecticut as a single entity, a place that we're part of, and that doesn't exist. And, um, you know, I suggested uh, during the pre-interview for this show that what it would take is a Bruce Springsteen for Connecticut. And instead, what we have is, you know, Gene Pitney, the Rockville Rocket. Um, so uh, uh, I'm not sure how we get there, but, but something that, that makes people, you know, proud to say that they're from Connecticut is what we're lacking. I hear Colin McEnroe's a pretty good singer. Maybe he could take us there. <laughs> <laughs> Colin McEnroe's a terrific writer as well as a great radio host, and um, he could do it. Well, I want to thank uh, uh, Richard Conniff again, Connecticut-based writer and journalist. His new book is called House of Lost Worlds, Dinosaurs, Dynasties, and the Story of Life on Earth. His latest article is in Yankee Magazine. So, Richard, maybe the next time you write an article, really uh, pump up Connecticut. Make us feel good about ourselves. You bet. I want to thank our show producers, Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Our digital editor is Heather Brandon. Executive producer is Katie Talarski. Thanks again for our callers today and so many uh, tweets uh, at Where We Live. You can always continue this conversation on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm actually moving today to Suffield, Connecticut. Thanks for listening.